Let me tell you about an illusionist. I mean, are you into, are you into uh, people who do magic? Illusions? It's not real magic, it's illusions. Do you guys get, no, it doesn't take your fancy? I've always been fascinated with it, especially as a child. And um, you know, we're always trying to get along to these things. In the UK, there was a guy who went around churches and he did it as a ministry. So you'd have a whole event and he'd come and do his tricks, his illusions, and be preaching the gospel through it. And one of the ones he did is this slide here. Um, the next slide. Uh, thank you, here it is. He got these three pieces of rope. And look, you saw them there. This, this is the guy. Okay. And each of the pieces of rope were a different length. And then he did something you know, in front of you. And then he, they were all one piece of rope. And really, he hung it up and it really looked like one piece of rope. And then he did something else really quickly in front of you with his arms stretched open there. And then they became three pieces of rope, but this time they were all the same length. In the beginning, they were different lengths. Then they became one piece. Then they went back to three, but they were the same length. And then at the end, they were a single length. And then back to three pieces, all different lengths. It was bizarre. And he did the whole thing. You know, there's no way he was hiding anything, seemingly. But it's incredible. You know, you're left thinking, you know, is it one rope or is it three ropes? You know, are they the same length or are they different lengths? You know where this is going, don't you? You know, when people think about God, you know, is he one God or is he three gods? Are they all the same length? Uh, that means, you know, you know, are they, you know, do, do they all function the same? Are they the same? Are they the same power? Is one less than the other? What is God like? How many gods do we have? Is it he, is he like this? Are gods a bit like ice, water, and steam? And every, we all use that, don't we? But theologically, it's bankrupt. It doesn't work. Because God isn't like water, steam, and ice. Because he's those three things simultaneously. That's why he's so complex. Because it's not as though he's one thing once, then it's something else, then it's something else. No. And here's, here's the important thing. Who died for you on the cross? Let me get this right. Yeah. And that's really important to get it right. It wasn't the Father. It's important to understand. And so when we say God died for our sins, it's very important to make a distinction there. It was Jesus who died for our sins. And, and there's a distinction between the two. We're going to look at that together now. So we're looking at who God is, and we'll try and bring that around to the first Christmas. Here's our heading. Jesus and God, one is the powerful self-disclosure of the other. So that's, we, don't, we don't have time to look at the Holy Spirit today, and it's not in the passage. So we're just looking at these two persons, the Father and the Son. So one is the powerful self-disclosure of the other. Who is, this, who, is, who is doing the disclosing and who is the disclosure? Jesus is disclosing, is the disclosure. It's the Father who's disclosing himself. He's opening himself to us. The opening words of John, here's the thing. So I want you to put yourself in the, in the, in the, in the shoes of an ancient Jew. Okay, you're an ancient first century Jew. You're familiar with the Old Testament, the scriptures. You're particularly familiar with the first five books. Do you know what the Jews uh, call them? The Torah. Yeah, and we call them the Pentateuch that they refer to as the Torah, 
okay, the first five books of, the, of Moses. In those first five books, the very first book and the very first words of the very first book are what? Even we know them. We're not Jews. In the beginning, three words in the English. Okay, most Jews in Jesus' day were reading and speaking what? Okay, it's neither of those. <laughs> they were, they were, you're right. They were, that was within their community. It's a bit like, you know, you know when we, if we went back to the UK to our friends, what would we, what would we be speaking in Birmingham? Brummy. We will be speaking Brummy, our own little local dialect. Our accents completely change when we're back there, really. You know, but here, I'm trying to speak good English. I don't know why. I mean, these are Aussies. I don't know why I'm bothering. You know, but, 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 but I'm trying to speak good English. Okay? So yes, they would have spoken Aramaic and Hebrew, no doubt, in the circles. But the language that, that really cut there was Koine Greek. And it's not just merely Greek, it's Koine Greek. It's the most simple, most basic, elementary Greek. It was a common person's Greek. That was the language they were speaking. And they were reading their Hebrew Bibles. Okay, if you need a reason and a rationale to read a translation of the Bible, here's one. The Jews were reading, not the Hebrew Bible, they were reading the Greek Septuagint. It's a translation of the Hebrew Bible. In fact, what do you think Jesus quoted? You think hey, Jesus is the authentic one, isn't he? So you think he'd be, he'd be quoting the Hebrew Bible? He quoted the Greek Septuagint whenever he quoted the Old Testament. So here's a reason why translations are fine. Even Jesus used them. So, so, the, so the Jews of Jesus' day, they spoke Aramaic, no doubt, but the, one, the language they used and the language of commerce and the one they read and the one they read the Bible in was Greek. And in Greek, in the beginning is... I knew we've got, we've, got a, we've got a Greek student here. She's not in just now. Okay, is two words, NRK. Okay, just means in beginning. doesn't have the article in there. Okay, it's not used so, much, so often in Greek. Just two Greek words, NRK. Okay, just means in the beginning. When they read Genesis 1 in Greek, it would have said that, NRK. John comes along. And it, what, what does Genesis 1 say? In the beginning, God. Uh, let me just stop there a second. What's that saying about God? If I said something like, in the beginning of Living Word Church, Bronwyn Sheldrick. If I said that, what am I saying about, what am I saying about Bron? Wow. Yeah, what we're saying, that, that she's at the very heart of this church, at the very beginning of the inception of this church, Bron was there. She's a part of the, uh, of the machinery. You know, she's at the heart of it. In the beginning, God. And that's what, uh, that's what Moses, we believe Moses wrote the Pentateuch. Moses is saying, in the beginning, N-R-K, at the very beginning, okay, is God. He is outside of it all. If we put Bron at the very beginning of Living Word Church, it was called Rivergate, then it was called Atherson Uniting, if we put her there, she's outside of it all. We're saying she's a part of the orchestrator, the someone who brought it about, someone who's bigger than the church. If you say something like, look, in the beginning of Rivergate is Bron, you're putting her at the very pinnacle of that church. So for Genesis 1, 1 to say, in the beginning, God. 
He's at the top. He's outside of it. He's bigger than the world he created. And so let me take it to John. You knew we were going to get back to John. John is writing in Koine Greek to an audience that reads Greek when he reads his Bible, to an audience that knows Genesis 1-1 off by heart, and he pens what words? What words does he pen? Look, it's been there the whole time. It's a, okay, what, what does he pen? In the beginning was the word. That's very significant. Okay, you're sitting there. Now tell me what you're thinking. Okay, so this is the equivalent of me. I've already told you in the beginning was Bron. Now I'm going to change, of Rivergate is Bron. I'm going to change the sentence. I'm now going to say, in the beginning of Rivergate is Montas. Okay, now that's equivalent. Now what have I just done? I've gone from saying, in the beginning of Rivergate was Bron. Now I'm saying to you, in the beginning of Rivergate Montas, what am I now saying to you? That is me. That I'm bigger than him. Actually, it was nothing about Bron. It was nothing to do with I'm the one who's really about. And this is and look, if you know anything about Rivergate, you're thinking, no, you're not, you weren't even here then. No, you're not. No, you weren't. We didn't even know you then, Montas. Can you see what John is doing here? In the beginning was the word. And the word we're going to see in a minute is a name for Jesus. And the first thing that a Jew is thinking is what? No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. How dare you? It was God who was at the beginning. John introduces Jesus. And here's the thing. You know, sometimes speakers, preachers do this. You say something and you're deliberately setting the cat amongst the pigeons. You are. You're deliberately striking up interest, conflict, you know, hatred, you know. You know you're doing it, it's, it's a ploy sometimes to get attention. You know, if you want someone to listen to you, you may say something really controversial, you know, something to wind them up, you know, uh, you know, something that will get their backs up. Any Jew who picked this up was instantaneously at the edge of his seat. Are the fuming, enraged, about to rip this manuscript up? You know, and really, you know, I had to put off someone from reading a book. You know, insult the Jewish race. Oh, and here's what John is hoping: it will either enrage you, you'll rip it up, you'll be in arms, or you may pay attention. You know, you may just begin to think, "Hey, what's what's going on here?" This is interesting. And I think that's what John is doing. He's trying to capture interest here because he, he wants us to know that Jesus is at the very beginning of time. Look, here's, here's how we know it's Jesus. Let me just go back a few steps. Here's what's said about the word. John 1, verses 14 to 17. In the beginning, we saw he said was the word. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. And verse 17 tells us that he is Jesus Christ. So the word is the character Jesus. It's who we're dealing with here. And John wants you and I to know, friends, and particularly now as we come towards Christmas, that the one who came into our world is the one who existed at the beginning of the world. Jesus isn't just another messenger 
or envoy from God who's going to come and tell us a little bit more about God. No, Jesus is somebody who has been at the beginning of our foundation, at the beginning of our existence, at the beginning of life, and has come into the world that he is at the outset of. God visited the world in his son. So the word is the name of Jesus. Now here's the next thing I want to ask. Why the word? Have a think, help me out here. Why would you think John, and John is writing this book, so it's, it's, it's at, his, at his intention, by the Holy Spirit, no doubt. Why would he call Jesus the Word? Have a think about that one. And, and, and sometimes, you know, God has inspired Scripture, and we can't get away from that. It is every word is inspired by God through his Spirit. But in using human agencies, he's using human personality, human thought patterns, human ingenuity. This is John. He's written this book. He's deliberately titled Jesus with a title that Jesus himself never really gave to himself as far as we're aware. And he calls him the Word. Why? Okay, I've got two. I've got two. So let me get Charles. Go on. What did you say, Charles? Okay, so Jesus is the one who's going to give the message. That's really good, Charles. Let's hang on to that. What were you going to say, Sid? Yes, God spoke the word into me. You, you get, yeah, both of those angles are coming at it. He calls, here's what the Greek word is. The Greek word is, does anybody know what the Greek word is for word? Logos or logos, okay? Greg went on a ship called the logos. Is that right, Greg? You didn't? Dulos. Okay, but there is a logos as well, isn't there? They've got two. They've got the dulos and the logos. Okay, he went on the other one. Okay, trust him, right? <laughs> so the Greek word is logos. What does it mean? Goodness sake, she's too quick. Okay, it means either reason, science, logic, should be a comma there, speech, or message. It's got, it's got a whole parameter of meanings. John chooses a Koine Greek word that has all of these meanings and he gives that title to Jesus. And Charles already pointed, and I think you were too, uh, Pamela. What did you say, Charles? Why do you think John used the word? John called Jesus the word? With a message. He gives him this title because he wants us to know that Jesus, and here's the thing, hasn't come with a message. No, see, because, because you'd word it differently. What does John want us to know? Jesus hasn't come with a message. What does John want us, wants us to know? He is the message. Pardon? Yes, absolutely. Thank you. I'm going to get to that. He's, he's, look, you're destroying my sermon, mate. Okay? Right? So the first point is, we're not going to get there. One step at a time here. So, so the first thing John wants us to know is that Jesus doesn't merely come with a message. He is the message. I remember, when I was a kid, we used to watch something called The Naked Gun. Uh, it's this comedy uh, about a police squad. And I remember a scene, I was just a teenager, teenager, I can't remember it very well, but there's a scene where uh, they come up, uh, this rough guy, you know, this villain, comes into this scrapyard, and the cop's there, and he goes, I've got a message for you, you know. Uh, and then as soon as he says this, 
uh, and all these guns fired at this copper, uh, this police guy. Uh, and, and after all the guns uh, shooting has finished, he somehow managed to dodge all these bullets. And he goes, I couldn't hear you because of the gunfire. <laughs> okay? The gunfire was the message, right? Jesus doesn't just bring us a message. It's the first thing we have to understand about Jesus. He is the message. He himself the message. You read Jesus. So Jesus is called the Word because he is the message, a message for us. Then the next question, this is what Greg was going to get to. Okay. Um, whose message? Whose message is Jesus bringing us? And Greg has already told us the answer. It is? Yes. <laughs> he forgets. It is God's message. Look, so when God spoke at the beginning of time in Genesis 1, the next slide, please, Naomi. I just want that. And the one after that. I just want that text up. In the beginning, the was the word, and the one after that. Sorry, I'm, I'm a bit ahead of myself. There we go. And God said, let there be light. What was happening in that situation? This is Genesis 1. What was God doing? I know he was creating the world, but what was he doing? Sun. Yeah, he was creating the sun. Something more. What's he doing? Look, what's he doing? He's creating the world. How is he creating it? By word. By word. Okay. His utterance. His message was creating the world. And God said. The thing about Jesus is what God wants us to know. Is that Jesus is whose message is he? Because he's connecting. He's by, by phrasing this in the beginning, he's connecting it with Genesis 1. And he wants us to know that this is the utterance that took place at the beginning of time. It's just something we have to try and get our heads around here. When God spoke at the beginning, that message, that message encapsulates the person of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever thought of it like that. What does Colossians 1, 14, 1, I think it's 14, at least Colossians chapter 1, tell us about Jesus, that all things were made by him, and for him, and through him. When you put that to Genesis 1, and you read Genesis 1, and God said, what was God saying? God was speaking. His message, his utterance, is everything that Jesus is. When God speaks, his son is there. And, and what, John, what John is telling us in, in John chapter 1 is that Jesus is God's word, his message, his utterance. When God spoke at the beginning, it was Jesus that was present. It was Jesus that was active. He is the very extension and expression and character and personality of God. Hey, look, what is someone's speech? If Brenton speaks, what are you hearing? Do you hear what she just says? A lot of rubbish. Oh, oh, sorry. I, I, so, so, I tell you, my hearing is terrible. It's terrible. Okay. No, look, when Brenton speaks, okay, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> when Brenton speaks, it's Brenton. 
Yeah, he's giving away himself. When Brenton says something, it's him. It's everything about him. It's what he knows. It's what he does. It's what he's about. It's his history. It's everything that Brenton is. When Brenton says something, it's him. And here's the thing about the word. When God speaks, if Jesus is God's word, God's utterance, God's voice, God's message, he is everything that God is. When you listen to him, you get everything that God is. When he says something, he's everything that God is. And here's, here's what a commentator, much better with words, much more succinct than I am. Jesus is the ultimate self-expression. Did that just disappear? Sorry. Okay, would you just go back a second? Jesus is... And I've been one more, one more back step, Nay. You, you normally have to go there, and then go forward. Jesus is, and then the ultimate self-expression, <coughs> self-disclosure, and self-revelation of God. You know, sometimes someone speaks. It doesn't take you long to realize they're just an idiot, aren't they? You know, or someone speaks, and you're like. You know, the minute someone opens their mouths, they give themselves away, don't they? The minute I open my mouth, I know what you're thinking. Look, look, it's, it's obvious. This guy's from another world. You know, just listen to him. You know, he's from another country, another place. When God opened his mouth, it was Jesus. When you look at Jesus, he's Everything that God stands for. Everything that God is. It's why Jesus says in John 14, it's the next slide, Naomi. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So the first thing, this is if I can sum up our first point, is that Jesus is everything that God is. He, he gives away God. When he speaks he, he gives away God's intelligence. When he speaks, so, sorry, so when God speaks, let me start again. When we look at Jesus, he gives away God's intelligence. When we look at Jesus, he gives away God's character. When we look at Jesus, he gives away what God is all about. When you look at Jesus, you get summed up in one character, in one person, in one tangible, real person that we have written about in Scripture today. Everything that God is to such an extent that, that Jesus could say, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And John, I, mean, I need to put this down, and John, when he sat down with a scroll, with, 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 with a papyrus sheet rather, and when he got his writing implement, and when he began to pen this gospel, and when he began to think about Jesus, remember he used intelligence. Don, John didn't just do this. Let me tell you this. Uh, 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 and the scriptures came about through the Holy Spirit. It didn't happen like that. Do you know what John did? He would have sat down and he would have thought. What has Jesus told us? What has just happened here? What do we see? What did he say? And as he began to think of all that, he goes, so who is he? Who is he? And he chose this one word, Lokos. And in that one word, John was saying, look, I'm summing up for you 
everything about this character that I'm going to write about. And I can sum up everything in one word, logos, which means message. And I'm going to connect that to Genesis 1 for you. In the beginning was the word. And John is effectively saying, you can now, this is, this is when you need the real Bible. This is, you can now shut that book up and walk away because I'm done. Can you see the point? If you grasp that Jesus is the ultimate self-expression, self-revelation of God, if you grasp that, you're done. It's finished. That's it. That is the only sermon. You know, you pay me to say that one thing to you. If I convey that to you, and if you grasp that in a better way over the years of my ministry, then I'm done. If Andrew and Lorinda can convey through their work that to one Cambodian so that, that they fully grasp that, they're done. You see, because to know that, to grasp that, is to have a divine revelation that God himself has imparted. And at that moment, you've moved from darkness to light, from sinner to saint, from death to life. That is it. For all the complexity of Christianity and for everything else John writes, and everything else he writes is like a movie. You've seen those movies that at the very beginning give you the end. You see, you know those movies? That they start with the end. And, and it's almost you could, you could finish there. And the, all the rest of the movie is, it's just going over all the information, all the detail, to tell you what it, they told you at the beginning. All John is doing at the beginning of his book is saying, look, if you won't read another sentence, if you read and you grasp that, you've understood my book, and if you've grasped it, you've got converted. If you understand that, if you believe that, if you can see it, remember what Jesus says in John chapter 3? He goes, when Nicodemus came to Jesus, and he goes, oh, oh teacher, we can tell you're from God. And what does Jesus say to him? Does anybody know? John chapter 3? Yes, yeah, something along those lines. He goes, who do you think you are? You can't see me. You've got no power. You've got no sight. You've got no ability to know who I am. If you're thinking, I'm sure he doesn't say that. I read John chapter 3. He does. It says it like this. He goes, no one can see. Now you know the sentence. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And his point being, you cannot grasp the first sentence of John chapter 1 unless you're born again. And here's the conundrum. How do you get born again so that you can grasp the first statement of John chapter 1 that converts you and gives you everything you need? By reading and grasping it. So in your interaction with John 1 verse 1, in your interaction with it, you get both the sight to see, to read it, 
you get the Spirit's power to perceive it, you get born again and you understand it, and then you get the power you need to live it. All of that comes through reading or engaging with those first words of John's Gospel. And so John writes, in the beginning was the Word. If you get that today, Christian, look, look, I've ta- look, I've Take it up half an hour. I'm not going to get to my second point, and I'm going to. I'll finish with this. If you and I have grasped the significance of John one one, that Jesus is the ultimate self-revelation of God, you've got everything you need for life and holiness. Because it means you've come to faith. You've got His Spirit. Here's the thing: in grasping that first sentence, you have been. Filled with the Spirit. The moment you grasped that truth, you were baptized in God's Spirit. You were filled with Him. You have His Spirit. And if you have His Spirit living in your heart, what does, this, does He do? He, he guides you to all truth. He will guide you to Scripture. He will bring you to a church. He will bring Bible teaching to relate to you. He will open your eyes. He will impress certain scriptures upon you. He will speak to you directly. He will lead you through your Christian life. In the beginning was the Word. And if we had time, look, and we haven't got time, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. We'll pick it up next time. I'll close with this. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. If you've seen even a fraction of what we've talked about this morning, you're born again. And let me tell you what that means. That means every sin that you've ever committed, every sin you will ever commit, is done away. It means that your life has got a trajectory, a purpose. It means that it's no accident that you're here this morning. It means that where you go tomorrow and what you encounter is under divine oversight. It means the things that you're suffering now and the pain that you're feeling and the perplexities in your mind and the aches in your body and and the darkness of the things ahead of you are under the hand of someone bigger than you. It means that that when you face death, you go into it knowing that there's someone greater than you standing at the other side of death, ready to receive you. It means that when your life finishes here, you will live forever in a paradise world. It means that you have very definite and purposeful meaning to your existence. This God, who was at the beginning, was at the stable 2,000 years ago. He landed up there in filth. Look, you know those pictures? They're just rubbish, aren't they? Because a stable is filthy. It's yuck. 
your God appeared there when he came into our world. And he went from there through a life of hardship, difficulty and struggle and loss. That was the life of Jesus until he grew up. And he went into a ministry where no one really wanted to hear what he got to say. And he went through a cross and death because of you. In the beginning was the Word. Amen.